Our scripture reading for today is 1 John 2, 28 through 310. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to, to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Good morning. I hope you're having a great day so far. We're going to try to continue that as we go through the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. It's a very interesting opening for Paul. He gives us the longest opening of any letter he writes. And what he's been saying so far is what makes him qualified to write the letter to the Romans. Paul talks about his calling, receiving grace, and having a mission from the Lord Jesus to go and write letters to Gentiles and preach the gospel message. And then Paul talks about three goals that he has for the people who received the letters. He wanted the believers in Rome to be in a state of obedience. He wanted all of Rome to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wanted Rome to give glory and benefit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's placed a special emphasis on the authority that he had as an apostle to share the gospel message. And when he began to define it and giving the fulfillments to the Jews and the Gentiles, the study in Romans begins by thinking through this opening paragraph about the authority of the Christian scriptures and the deep indebtedness we have to the scriptures and the word of God. There was a uh, ceremony in England a long time ago. Uh, President, uh, Princess Elizabeth was carrying the crown for her sister in a procession, a parade. And uh, the crown weighed a good weight. And I guess the princess wasn't used to carrying heavy weights. And she did and she started complaining about the crown. 
And one of the people next to her said, be patient. It will seem wider when it's on your head. Sometimes the things we're called to do in this life seem heavy. For us as believers, we have an entire Bible that gives us instructions on how to live, how to glorify God, how to praise God, how to live a life, as Romans says, to be a living sacrifice to God. And there are a number of things the Bible tells us to do that will please God as our duty. So, sometimes, when you try to do this in a uh, legalistic way, or when a non-believer tries to do what we're called to do, they find great difficulty in it. And they find, and they come up with all kinds of ideas that you Christians have a ball and chain and, and it's the Bible and you can't do anything fun and yada, yada, yada. They go on and on. When for us, the responsibilities we have should be light. The responsibilities we have should be enjoyable. The responsibilities we have should be where we find our delight. And that is one of the things that Paul is going to talk about in the two verses we're going to look at this morning. So I want to start you in verse 7. Verse 7. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To all whom are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What makes the church at Rome so special? What makes the church at Rome so special? Well, there's a number of things here that make the church at Rome special. And there are a number of things here that make you special. First, believers are loved by God. Believers are loved by God. To all who are beloved of God. That's not a word we use too often, beloved. But that's what the scripture says, God has affections for you. And the affection is love. He, agape, loves you. He has a love for you. Notice, it doesn't say some of you. It doesn't say uh, the, oh, the elders of you, or the deacons of you, or the pastors of you. What's it say? All. All. All means, it's a technical Greek term, it means... All, all, all of us are loved, beloved of God. If we've been called a saint, if we've experienced the grace and peace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ, you are in a very special, special, special place. You are beloved of God. 
You are beloved of God. Now think about that. God the creator who created the universe loves you. 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 You who are a little bit hard to love. You. With all your faults, scars, and problems. You. Who wears those funny clothes and comb your hair in such a funny way? And some of you actually cut it all off. You are beloved of God. God loves you. God loves you because you're a saint. God loves you because you're called by God. God loves you because that's the attitude God has on believers. God loves you because He removed the curse of God from you through the work of God so that the blessing of God could fall upon you. He loves you. Loves you in a fundamental way that He chose you. <clears throat> because of the grace of God, the believer is loved by God. The highest believer in Rome, in Caesar's household, to the lowest slave in Rome, to the best businessman we have in our church, To the person who doesn't even have a job. You are beloved of God. God loves you. God loves you. I don't think we think about it enough. I don't think we really comprehend God's love. I don't really think we appreciate being loved by God. I don't think being loved by God comes up in our thinking as often as it should. I think we complain. I think we grumble. I think we murmur. I think we complain about the weather. I think we complain about things that can only be pointed at as something by the province of God. I think we grumble. I think some people, maybe in this room, have self-image problems where they think belittling of themselves. When God loves you. Because God loves you, it should change your universe. The way you think, the way you act, and everything about you changes. Not because you love yourself, or your spouse loves you, or your children love you, or whoever you think loves you, loves you, 
or you think your pastor loves you, it doesn't matter. What matters is God loves you. You are beloved of God. God loves you. If you're uh, still in the scripture reading passage, go there. 1 John chapter 3. I want you to notice one verse real quick about the love of God. I don't think we really understand the love of God. God loves you. You are loved by God. You are beloved of God. You are loved. 1 John chapter 3. Look at verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called the children of God. See how great a love, how deep and wonderful and amazing God's love for you is. A love, everything the believer has and finds its source in the love of God. God loves you. Everything in this Bible is a love letter written to you. He bestows His love on you. You see that word bestow? That's a great word. I like that word. It is perfect tense. You are bestowed love. In other words, there is a point in time where God bestowed love on you. It was when you heard the gospel message and you said yes to God and no to sin. You repented of your sins and placed your faith in God. From that moment on, forever, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. There is nothing you can do to stop God loving you. There is nothing you can do that will stop God from loving you. There is nothing. You have been bestowed love. And that love bestowed upon you makes you a child of God. As a child of God, you experience the love of God. You have absolutely everything you need for the rest of eternity because God loves you. He bestows this love on you. The term points to an act of God in the past and the permanence of His love for you. The amazing love is an eternal gift from God. You have an eternal gift. I took my grandkids, okay, last Saturday, an auction. I had them all by myself, all three of them, all by myself. I found a McDonald's with a playground, kept them entertained for a while. After the McDonald's, I tried to soothe them because it was in the afternoon. They're starting to get grumpy. I took them to Target, and I looked at them, and I said, okay, you get one gift from me. Now, if it costs $150, you're not getting it. But if it's close to $15, you're getting it. I will give you a gift. You pick it out. So, what happened? Attitude changes. They got excited about Target. Took them to the store department. They didn't want anything there. I took them to the toy department. They wanted everything there. They didn't look at the prices <clears throat> on the first row. They started picking things and saying, I want this. And I said, well, that's $65. No. I said, 15. 
around 15. And they finally went shopping. And guess what we did? We went down every single aisle in the toy department. And we went down every aisle twice looking for the perfect gift, a $15 gift. And they got their gift. You know what I get? Not only do I get fun for an hour watching them try to buy them, but I get multiple benefits from that target. My wife asked the grandkids who they loved. Guess who's number one on that list? That's right, Grandpa, because he allows them to do whatever they want and gets them $15 gifts at Target. Guess what a Christian is to love? Because we went down every row in Target trying to find a way to get to heaven. And every row we went down had no hope. No hope, no hope, no hope. Until we went down one row where it said God did everything we needed. Grace. God did everything you needed. Grace. And God did everything so that all you have to do is place your faith in Jesus Christ and repent of your sins. And God gives it to you because He's a loving Father who loves you. And all He wants back, all He wants back is love from you. That's it. That's it. Amazing love is an eternal gift from God. This love manifested in the fact God allowed Himself to be called our Father. God is your Father. The relationship, a relationship takes two people trying to make the relationship work. In your relationship with God the Father, it takes one, God the Father. And He makes it work. And He'll make it work for all eternity. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. The beloved people, guess what, live in Rome. Live in Rome. Rome is a city in Italy. According to tradition, was founded in 753 B.C. on seven hills. It was the capital of Rome, and it was well known for its wickedness, its sinfulness. Nine times we have references of Rome in our New Testaments, mostly in the book of Acts. The emperor Claudius in Rome in, in A.D. 49, kicked out the Christians. Kicked out the Christians because they were making too much of a ruckus over a person named Jesus Christ. So he expelled all Christians out of Rome. And in 57 A.D., Paul writes a book back to the Roman Christians who have now at this time been let back into Rome. And in 59, 
Paul gets to take a trip paid by the Romans because he's in prison and he's taken to Caesar's and to Rome where he gets to encourage the believers in Rome. Notice how the believers in Rome are called. They're called as saints. They're called as saints. Second, what makes the church at Rome so special? Second, believers are chosen by God. Believers are chosen by God. They are called saints. That word call is very interesting. It's talking about the effective work of the gospel message on a person's heart that God calls you by the gospel message to himself. He enters the relationship by choosing you and calling you. He chooses you and calls you to salvation. When you're The love of God calls you, you respond to that love, and guess what? You're made a child of God. You're brought into the family. The word chosen or called here has been used in verse 1 and verse 6 to talk about the divine action of God in your life through salvation. God calls you to be set apart. God calls you to service. God calls you as an invitation, not necessarily as an invitation, but as an effective Reaching individuals by himself. He picks you. He chooses you. He calls you. He refers to a call in the past, which the Romans have already responded to. They're believers. They've been called to belong to Christ. They're divinely selected and appointed to be children of God. In this case, called saints. Called saints. It's applied to all believers who are in Jesus Christ. If you're in Jesus Christ, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, if you repent, repented of your sin, you're a saint. Look at the person next to you. Say, hi, saint. You are a saint if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are not a saint because of your virtue. You're a saint because of your calling. You've been called by God. By the way, the old name of a sinner of a saint, the old name of a saint is sinner. Hmm. You're no longer a sinner, you're a saint. Believers are saints because God made them saints, namely by his calling. A saint should live according to the character to which you've been called and be holy and set apart. It's interesting the word saint in the New Testament is always written down plural. It never talks about one saint. It talks about a group of saints. We are saints group, plural. We are a group of saints who have been called by God. We are set apart from the sin of this world towards the holiness of God. We're a saint a pastor a long time ago, back when uh, trains were the fastest way of travel. He was traveling from Chicago where he had his church. And he was going to Los Angeles to speak. And he uh, got into a, a passenger car and he had a little compartment. And in the compartment, he had other riders with him. The pastor happened to get three other nuns to take a tr- railroad tr- travel to Los Angeles, and it take, took four days on a railroad to get from Chicago to Los Angeles. And he had them all to himself, and he kept talking to them about spiritual things. He would actually read them 
scriptures from the Bible. And on the third day, he finally asked one of them if they've ever seen a saint. And all of them answered, no, they never have seen a saint. They'd like to see a saint. They wanted to see a saint. And he astonished them and he said, I'm a saint. My name's Harry. And then he took him to the scripture and talked about all the passages that talk about a believer being a saint by the gospel message. And he shared with them the good news of Jesus Christ. You are a saint. We are a group of saints. We are children of God because of the love of God. And we have been called. We have been called. Third, verse 7. To all those who are beloved of God in Rome called saints. Grace to you. Grace to you. What makes the church at Rome so special? Number three. Believers are blessed by God. Believers are blessed by God. You have blessings upon blessings upon blessings, and they all come from God's grace. God bestows upon you grace upon grace upon grace. So many graces come into your life that you don't even notice them. Sometimes grace happens to you and you don't recognize it as coming from God. You sometimes, by mistake, call it chance or luck. God says it's grace. It's God's blessing to you where He works in your life. He works in your life to bestow blessings. Sometimes when a Christian gets so confused, sometimes we call the blessings of God hardships. And we shouldn't. A blessing of God comes by the grace of God. We are blessed by grace. We are saved by grace. We are given supplies of grace each and every day to make sure we get through each step of every day. The grace of God is His ability to display His love and actions of kindness that are given as gifts to those who did not earn them or deserve them. But we receive God's kindness. Grace is the object the basis of our salvation, faith is the subjective means by which we're saved. Grace is the work of God that saves us. By the grace of God, we are saved. Fourth, what makes the church at Rome so special? To grace to you and peace. And peace, what makes the church at Rome so special? Number four, believers are unified by God. Believers are unified by God. Grace is a Greek word. Peace is a Hebrew word. Grace was the Gentiles, spoken by the Jews. And both of them are used to talk about the benefit and love that God has for you. God gives you grace every day, and He produces in you peace. Peace with God and the peace of God. Peace with God happens once. You are made at peace with God. Grace of God occurs every single day where you have a relationship with peace. You are at peace with somebody you were once hostile with. As a sinner, you are hostile against God. But with God's peace, you are reconciled 
to God. The Greek term for peace occurs 92 times in the New Testament. You could not have peace unless you are in God's grace. Grace happens first, then peace. You have peace because you have favor with God based upon the reconciliation of work of God and grace. Grace refers to the love of God in action, and peace is its result. Literally, the idea of peace is completeness. You are whole. You are whole. You're not missing any parts with the peace of God. You have everything you need to make it through today, tomorrow, and the next year. All of it together. Peace deals with the believer's new unified relationship with God. You are at peace. God's love is great, isn't it? Makes you a saint, gives you grace, gives you peace. How many more gifts do you need from God to know His love? Let me give you a couple more. Verse 7, Called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father. What makes the church at Rome so special? Number five, believers are adopted by God. Believers are adopted by God. From God, we are from God. The blessings come from God. Peace comes from God. Grace comes from God. God's calling comes from God. God's love comes from God. All of it comes from God. And you are adopted by God. So that you are in a relationship with God, you're a child of God, so you can call God your Father. Call God your Father. The blessings flow down from Him. He's our Father. The first century, the Father had the rule in the family. He, Father, implies a loving concern from the authority above you. He loves you. He adopted you as His child. He makes you the object of His love and heirs to His kingdom. He loves you. You are His child. You are His child. You are His saint. You have been bestowed upon you grace, peace. You have been bestowed love. What more do you need? Number six, verse seven. Called grace, called saints, grace to you and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ. What makes the church at Rome so special? Believers are driven by God. <clears throat> Believers are driven by God. Now, I, I took a lot of verbs for driven, but I came up with driven. In other words, <clears throat> I think our sin nature makes us lazy. I think our sin nature makes us lazy and we need to be driven to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. And the way God drives us is by giving us a master, a commander, an authority in our lives so that we know what to do. We are given the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your leader he is the one you listen to. He is the one you obey. He's the one you listen to. I like how it's written. Uh, I hope you have a word there from, in my version, 
you have from our God and Father. You see that? From our Father. And then you have the Kai and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the, in the Greek language, when you have one preposition before one noun, and you have the Kai, and then you have another noun, it means both the nouns are equal. In other words, Paul is saying that God the Father and God the Son are equal in essence. They are the same deity. They are God. They are two are placed on the same level together in their essence. And Jesus Christ is the Lord. He's the covenant-keeping God. He's the promise-keeping God. The word Lord, Jesus called Lord over 700 times. Now I try to count it. I spent way too much time trying to count it. I came up with 922, and I know all of those aren't right. So we'll take the 700 number, okay? We'll take the 700 number. See three times in the New Testament, he's called Jesus Christ. And it's always after the resurrection. Always. In the verse number 1 in Romans 1.1, Jesus Christ. It says Christ Jesus. Then in verse 3, Jesus is called his son. Then in verse 4, he's called the son of God. Then verse 4, the end of verse 4, he's called Jesus Christ our Lord. Then in verse 6, he's called Jesus Christ. Then in verse 7, he's called the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you kind of get the hint of the introduction that Paul is writing here about the person he's concerned about you knowing? Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, the master, the owner, the conqueror, the savior, Jesus, and the office bearer, the Christ, the Messiah. You're, you're, his title marks out his deity, Lord, his earthly life, Jesus, his redemptive role, Christ. It, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, clothed in our nature, who is our Lord for two reasons. He's our Lord, because as God, he's our absolute sovereign. He's our Lord. And second, because he's our redeemer. He purchased you by his death on the cross. That makes him your Lord. He's our Lord because he's sovereign God. He's our Lord because he's the Redeemer. He's the person who drives you to get out of bed each morning. To go and advance his kingdom. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need him each and every day. Second point in our sermon this morning. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Here, how should the church of Rome respond to the gifts of God? How should the church of Rome respond to the gifts of God? In other words, God gives each and every one of you six gifts in verse 7. Six, not one, not two, not three, six gifts. You have received six gifts from God. Now, how do you respond to that? Verse 8. First, I thank my God. You respond by being thankful. You respond to the gifts of God by being thankful. <sighs> you know, pastors are supposed to be, well... They're supposed to do what the Bible says. And as long as we don't let it go outside this room, 
I have a hard time with this. My wife says I see the cup half full or half empty. Whatever, half empty. I disagree with it, but that's what I'm told. I have a hard time being thankful. I have a hard time being thankful. Now, I don't know if you're like me or not, but this is hard. What I have to do is I have to focus my mind on those six gifts in verse 7. I have to dwell upon those six things in verse 7. I have to dwell upon the great number of eternal things God gives us in the New Testament and the Old Testament and everything He gives to us. We, i got to dwell on it to be thankful. First, I think, my God, oh, by the way, that's funny because there's no second in the book of Romans. Now, there are a number of comments that people make about guessing about where the second is. Some people think that it's further on, talking about prayer. Some people think it's in chapter 3, talking. But anyway, he says first, and doesn't get back to it. Some people think it's because he was dictating to a secretary who was writing it down. And the secretary didn't hear him say second. But I don't know. Paul made a practice of beginning his letters with a word of thanks. We need to begin our day with a word of thanks. We need to begin our afternoon with a word of thanks. We need to begin our, our evening with a word of thanks. We, well, I need to be more thankful. Present tense. Present tense mean I am now thanking my God. No, now present tense means now I'm thanking my God. No, present tense means now I'm thanking my God. We're to continually thank God for the gifts he gives to us. Thanksgiving is a priority of Paul. We see it through all his letters. Paul wrote the letter to the Romans from Corinth at a time where he's being persecuted by the Jews. Acts chapter 20. Things aren't going well in Corinth, and the first thing he thinks about to write to Romans is thanks. He's getting on his trip. He's getting ready to go on a trip back to Jerusalem where he's going to be imprisoned. He knew it. And he is thankful. He is thankful in hard circumstances. So your circumstances do not make you thankful or less thankful. Being thankful should be a permanent, everyday occurrence for a believer. Paul, thankfulness did not rise or fall based upon earthly circumstances, but on his fellowship with God. Notice the three reasons to be thankful. First off, he has my God, my God. Believers through Jesus Christ have the privilege to call the Almighty God, my God. He's your God. You have one in whom the believer owes everything. You have my God. Then you have the work of Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, your mediator, the person who makes your thanksgiving possible. If Jesus didn't do what he did, you wouldn't have a reason to thank. Jesus Christ is the one who created access to God for you to be thankful. 
And notice the last part, for you all. For you all. You have a reason. Every person in this room has a reason to be thankful to God. Thankful to God. Jeremy and Michelle met for lunch one day, and Michelle shared with Jeremy, they were friends, Michelle shared with Jeremy the problem she was having with her kidney and being on the donor's list for 11 months. She was uh, having kidney dialysis and fatigue. She was having blackouts. She was having a problem with joint pain and all kinds of things that didn't look like she was going to get a kidney. And then Jeremy, Jermaine, got tested and gave her one of his kidneys. They had a gratitude lunch set up. Every three months or so, they'd get together at the same restaurant and have lunch. And Michelle would share thanks to Jermaine. You know, I'm going to make a motion that we have Thanksgiving every two weeks. Okay, I thought I'd get some kind of reaction from you. All I got was a yawn over there. That's all I got. Turkey, every two weeks. Thank you. Just so Christians will be more thankful. I heard somebody say, well, Christians have Thanksgiving every day. Well, we don't act like it. We need to be thankful. We need to be thankful. When we come to church every Sunday, there should be Thanksgiving going on. We should have more joy than any other meeting you'll be in the rest of the week. Because we have more reason to be joyful and thankful. Right here. Right here. And you're getting more than a kidney. You're getting eternal life. Verse 8. I am thankful. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Here's your life. How should the church at Rome live number one believers live by faith your salvation begins by an act of faith trusting god and every day after you trust god you will continue to trust god you live by faith faith pistis pastuo the verb paul defines faith as an absolute trust in god you trust god you give thanks to god (laughs) Paul gives thanks to God because he hears about the faith of the church in Rome. By faith, Paul's not referring to an initial trust, but his daily living faith that the believers in Rome was showing. Living faith, testifying to the general genuineness of saving faith. And because of your saving faith, you produce living faith. And that living faith can handle any difficulty. In 49 A.D., they got kicked out of Rome. Sometime in the 50s, they got back into Rome. 
But even through the good times and the bad times, they had faith. And they were well known for faith. Second, how should the church of Rome live? Live. Believers should tell of great faith. Should tell of your faith. Your faith should be seen in actions and words. Your faith is to be seen in both. And sometimes you have to tell stories of your faith. In your witnessing, in your evangelism, start it with sharing how your faith handled a situation. How you placed your trust in Jesus Christ in this or that event. Your faith is being proclaimed, present tense, passive. They, daily their faith is being talked about, announced far and wide, to proclaim with authority as commissioned throughout and among others. Their faith was seen by others and it was given an effect on others. The whole world, the whole Roman Empire was hearing about their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, some churches are famous today because they're big, or the pastor, or the way the building is made, or the stained glass windows. That was one of the things in Concordia. We had stained glass windows that were some kind of special. And people would come to see the stained glass windows. The, the, their size, their wealth, whatever it is. They were looking at this church and evaluating it by stained glass windows. You evaluate churches by their faith. Does this church have faith? Does Cumberland Bible Church have faith? It should be known, it should be seen. People should hear about it. They should know that we have faith. Do they know we have faith? Do they see it? Do they know it? Application. Will I demonstrate my faith by my actions and my words so that the world will know the value of trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and be thankful? Will I demonstrate my faith with my actions and words so that the world will know the value of trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and be thankful? Okay, now I'm preaching to the choir. Guess what? This next week, I need to be more thankful. Anybody going to join me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for all the gifts of grace you give to us each and every day. I thank you, Father, for how you worked in my life, how you brought me to this church, how you've worked in my training and my theology, and you helped me make mistakes at other churches so I can correct them here. Father, thank you for all the things you've taught me and you brought me here. You call me a saint, you call me beloved. You call me and your grace touches my life each and every day. Your peace is there. Father, you give me so much to be thankful about. And still I struggle. I pray, Father, that we all would be more thankful this week than we were last week. Because you, Father, are the source of all blessings. You, Father, give us a commander to follow. I pray, Father, we would hear him and obey Him this week.
Help us, Father, to be more thankful in each and every day, no matter the circumstances, and be thankful. Change us, Father, so that we are known as a church that has faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.